All right. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Glad to be here. So <laughs> thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no, definitely. I yeah. I mean, thank you for coming on. We've we invited, been trying to figure it out for a little bit. So yeah, you were one of the first people that I talked to or like reached out to, honestly, because oh, and then it's been forever because I'm it's been a while. hard to get to. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you don't even live up here. Although now, like both your extended families live here, right? Yes. Yeah. So so now you have incentive at least. It to was come nice. Up to Idaho. Well, it was really nice to get away from both families for a yeah. second. That's true. Yeah, to be down in Utah. <laughs> Yep. That's nice. Yeah. Well, now, right now, being here is nice. Yeah. To be away from both of the <laughs> Oh, you mean like getting out of the house? <laughs> yes. Nice. They're all just doing stuff. Yeah. I don't have to do the dishes, so that's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> does uh, just both your families coming up here make you guys want to end up back in Idaho? Do you guys like Idaho? We really do. I like feel like Idaho. it's up your up your alley, being outdoors. Well, and... Yeah, and it's growing really fast, and with uh, the potential for any of the specialties that I do, we have a good sized hospital and. Uh, like Ermac being regional, I, I can do anything up here, which is great. Mm -hmm. And then being able to raise a family in this area is really nice. So Yeah. No, it is. <clears throat> it's nice. I mean, I think we're still pushing. <laughs> I say we. I'm still pushing to go up to Alaska. Oh, my gosh. But we'll see so if good. I can convince Olivia of that. There's a lot. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people pulling for us to get back up there. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people pulling for us to stay here. So we'll see where we end up. Mm, just take whatever comes, I guess. Yeah, that's true. But I definitely wanted to have you on the podcast because I feel like you have one pretty interesting insights because you're kind of also pretty like entrepreneurial, you know, you kind of do your Maybe. own thing. And then you're also like very, I don't know, outdoorsy. I don't, I, we haven't had a ton of interactions together, to be honest. Like we met when we shot your guys' wedding right. with photography. Mm -hmm. And then since then we've done a couple shoots together. Um we came over for dinner one time. Yeah, you guys came over for dinner one time. <laughs> but other than that, like, honestly, I don't know you super well, but I've always, I don't know, I, I was like, Ben honestly would be a pretty good person to have on the podcast. Like, why not have him on? Well, I'm glad you seem like here. an interesting person. You're an interesting person. Every time I hear stories about you, like I remember when I first learned that you were like a professional ice skater, and I was like, oh my gosh, speed skating is crazy. Like, in my opinion, that's like top level stuff. So yeah, I mean, when you're... Five, eight, and from Alaska, there's not there's a whole like, lot of choices. <laughs> it's it's like, or you could farm uh, ice, basically. Yeah, like yeah. Or figure frozen. skating, and I was like, yeah. I'll <laughs> wear, figure skating would be cool. I'll wear tights, but not sparkles. Yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost the same thing. Almost, almost. So, <laughs> so for those of you, or for those listening that don't know you, though, do you want to give a brief, ex or just, yeah, a brief introduction yeah. of yourself you know who you are where you're from and then what you're currently i guess working on yeah so my name's benjamin tire i really go by ben honestly so okay. i'm just gonna go by ben for the rest of the time um and i let's see um i grew up in salt lake city utah my dad's a dentist so uh, i lived in california for a little while and eventually moved back over to utah again um and uh, my pursuit for the last five years has basically been getting into medical school and uh, photography. So I've done a lot of uh, landscape photography specifically and adventure photography, worked with a few brands, done a lot of weddings and stuff too. And amidst that, went to BYU, studied physiology and developmental biology. Um, I've worked in pediatrics for a long time. And with all those experiences together, I decided that medicine would be another cool thing to start uh, pursuing at this time. So right now I'm currently applying to medical school and I'm running my photography business uh, from home, basically. Yeah. And I feel like you kind of downplayed your photography a little bit <laughs> because like I've been a photographer for a really long time or I was I'm slowly phasing out, but mostly like weddings and stuff like that. And I my favorite kind of photography is just shooting like my family, you know, on trips and things like that. Mm. That is really what I got into photography for. But your photography is like, I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> like it's been so cool to watch it from the start because I feel like, oh my gosh, I feel like when we shot your guys' wedding was when you were kind of like getting into it. Yeah, you're like, I yeah. have, you know, uh, what like I, a three hundred dollar Canon camera, the or Costco special, yeah, we call it still. <laughs> yeah, so you had that, and you're like, I kind of like photography. Like I'd like to take some pictures. And then to where you are now, like, it's amazing. Like you are, you've gotten like, I mean, leaps and bounds better than I have in, in I anything. That, I mean, definitely in your specialty, like I would say for sure in any outdoor well, adventure, like I would love to take pictures of mountains and animals as well as you do. Well, I, I think that a lot of it was just, um, 
Well, this is going to be great because this is exactly what Outliers is about. Just crazy random opportunities that um, presented themselves to me. And it was really nice to be able to meet some really cool people and uh, find some really great information that ultimately helped me to do what I do now. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of little pinpoints in my path to here at this point that I don't think if if those hadn't happened, I don't think I'd be doing what I do right now. Um, but really it all started with just an interest in astrophotography because I thought that was really cool. And my current, my wife right now, McKaylee, um, had told me how much she loved the stars one time. And I was like, Oh, that'd be really cool. Baller move is to go take (laughs) pictures of stars and then send them to her and be like, look at that. That's pretty cool. Right. I'm a pretty cool dude. And then that just turned into an obsession over time of like, Oh, how can I get better pictures? Like, um, I want to travel and see these cool places. And a lot of it is honestly just to to look cool most of the time. I want to go to cool places and be like, look at me, look what I did. These are these cool experiences I've had. I've had. And um, that turned into a real passion for uh, storytelling, which is ultimately my whole like in with medicine is, is talking about why I love storytelling and being involved in mm-hmm. people's stories. So that was kind of my, my main thing from all my essays in my medical oh. school applications. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you still do a lot of, I mean, I, I see some like astrophotography, but is that still like your favorite? Still my favorite. And really, like I, I really like astrophotography is so interesting because you can do it with anything. Now you can do it with smartphones. So, like you can point at the sky with your smartphone and take a picture. of. You make it sound way. so easy. I mean, really, Honestly. you set it down facing up and you don't move is really the big thing. It's long exposure. <laughs> but uh, and being in a place where it's dark enough to see the stars, obviously. Yeah. But I really switched over to a tracking system recently. Okay. Um which basically for those who don't know, it's a, a, a gear box on top of your tripod that you put your camera onto and then it rotates your camera at the speed of the earth's rotation. So you can do extremely long exposures for the stars and you get a lot more color and detail out of it that way. And I think that was where finally I'd like hit my peak of like astrophotography. And then of course somebody else comes around and is taking pictures of far off galaxies and discovering new nebulas <laughs> with their like backyard camera. And you're like, oh, okay, well I guess I have more to improve on, I guess. But yeah, but yeah awesome. still my favorite probably. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you mentioned there that our book this week is outliers. outliers. But before we kind of dive into the book, I always like asking new guests, um, what kind of books do you personally like reading? And are you a reader? Because I definitely was not about six mm. months ago mm. <laughs> at all. Like I could barely read six months ago. And so I was, I'm interested to know, like, what do people on like normal people read day to day? Um, so I've always been a reader. I loved reading, especially like all through elementary school, middle school. I think in high school, it really like I hit my like my favorite period of reading uh, just because I had really great books that were being assigned through my programs that I was taking. And then um, when I started college, uh, I started to um, get really busy just with like lots of different things that I was having to do for um, for medical school preparation and for just my like regular classes that I really lost that like desire to read a ton because I just didn't have time. Um, and then, um, lately I've been reading again, which has been great because I'm graduated and I have plenty of time now, but I think if I were to describe my type of book, oh man, I like so many different types of books. Honestly, I love like self-help books like this one. I think that's Mm -hmm. really cool to, to get really good information like that. I also really love sci-fi. So I loved like Orson Scott card when Mm -hmm. I was growing up and, um, and those kinds of books. I love the Lord of the Rings. So fantasy still like hits home with me. And then I do love like historical fictions, like kite runner is really great. And, uh, kite runner. Yeah, that one's a good one. And, um, uh, man's search for meaning mm-hmm. is great too. Like I love those kinds of books as well. Okay. Where do you think your, I guess, so I'm always interested in this yeah. because again, <laughs> I, I'm an idiot and I just like, <laughs> I like couldn't, I like didn't read at all. And I, when I tell people that they're like, yeah, I get it. Like some kids don't read. I'm like, no, I honestly don't think I read a book from probably about sixth grade until about a year ago. Oh, wow. So I was, like, I, was, I was like 29. So again, we're talking like 
20 years. I mean, no, not 20 years. I mean, apparently I'm bad at math too. Like 15 <laughs> years worth of not reading literally a single book at all. So I'm always interested because it's something that I really, really don't want to happen for my kids. Mm. Like I'm trying, we're trying to, and Olivia's amazing. I mean, she reads, I mean, more books than anybody should ever That's read in a single married. year. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but I'm always interested, like, was that something that your parents kind of instilled in you? Oh, was yeah. that something that you developed just on your own? How would you say that you came across your love for reading? I mean, r really my parents. My parents still are always reading. Like that's their vacation activity usually. We get to the beach and we're all out doing like stuff like digging holes and things like that. <laughs> you do it at a beach. They're always reading books. And they read a huge variety of books too. But like a lot of self-help books, a lot of uh, uh, like uh, church books and religion books. Um and then just like fantasy books, they're, they're reading fun books all the time. Like lately their, their thing has been uh, Brandon Sanderson. That's oh, like yeah. been one of their favorites lately. Um, and, but yeah, they really instilled that desire to read. We, we would get read to when we were kids, we started reading like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and stuff when I was like four or five. So they've always had bookshelves and tons of different books just like available for us to grab. And, um, I think they really instilled that like love for reading and that like interest in it. Um, but I think that being in school and like really learning how to like analyze books and really look into things and, and, uh, try to, what's the word? Not annotate, but, but just to like really look into the book and like yeah. really try to see what it means to you. That came from my teachers in high school. Okay. Yeah. I didn't get that from any of my teachers. <laughs> some, I think I got really lucky with, yeah. with some of my teachers. Honestly. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. So out of all of the books that you've read, what, how, what did you think about Outliers? Outliers Outliers is a different book in a way because it's kind of like little stories and like little mm -hmm. experiences, like putting together a thesis almost is kind of what it feels like. I don't know. You kind of feel yeah. similar to that. I felt like it was more of a, a class lecture than a book. Yeah. You but it was I mean? interesting to mm -hmm. read. Like I didn't, I didn't feel bored reading. Mm -hmm. It was it engaging at least. Yeah, I also didn't feel like it was very traditional of like a self-help book. Right. Like it didn't give me anything to do. Right. You know, that's it's just an idea <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> like I fully expected with how many people have recommended this book that it would have been like, I mean, life-changing is, like, I don't know. Like I kind of expected it to almost be like, maybe it is kind of perspective changing, but definitely more of like a, a get up and go do something kind of book. Right. Whereas when I got to the end of it, I was like, I don't know what I can actually do. <laughs> like, well, like what are the, what are the to-do lists that come from this book? Right. Like, I think that there were kind of two ways that you could have viewed this book. And I, I think it's kind of like telling for what outliers is really about. And it's like seizing your opportunity to, and, and utilizing your, your gifts and your talents and all the things that you've been given so that when those opportunities come, you can take them. And you can look at the book as either being really disheartening. <laughs> I mean, like, well, I'm not rich and I don't have all these opportunities that other people have, so I'm never going to be successful. Or you can say opportunity, everybody's opportunities are different. And so um, my unique opportunities, the whole point of this book is to teach you that those opportunities are yours to take and you need to think about it that way. And you need to, uh, to be actively looking for those opportunities so that you can uh, take them and run, basically. Mm -hmm. So I think the only real takeaway from it is to be aware of the fact that you have unique opportunities that are presented before you that you can take and you can go do something with that. But yeah, but yeah, you're right. There's not like a, and then here's our conclusion. One, two, three, four, five, like you should do this, this, yeah. this, and this. Like wake up early, get in your ice bath. <laughs> like, yeah, you know not, what I mean? It's not like, seven <laughs> habits of highly effective people. It's no, no, very not different. at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like, I don't know. I, I don't want to say underwhelmed because I felt like there was a lot that I did there were a lot of the stories that I really did like, but mm -hmm. I did walk away from it kind of feeling almost empty because it didn't give you anything to do. Right. You're like, Oh, maybe that's like the whole point. You have to like use your book as an opportunity to <laughs> kick <laughs> gear, kick yourself into gears. Yeah. So out of all of the, so like you said, it kind of breaks it up into sections. Right. Um, out of all the sections, what did you feel like? I mean, was there a section that kind of stood out to you? Um, I mean, 10,000 hours has been, a lesson in my life from my dad for a really long time. I feel like no matter what seminar you go to, 10,000 hours is mentioned somewhere, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting because you can apply it to a lot of different things. Um, 
like you talk about photography. I don't think I've done nearly 10,000 hours of photography. Yet. I was adding it up. <laughs> 10,000 hours is, so if you break it out into 40, like, 40 hour work weeks, okay. like if you treat it like a job, mm -hmm. it is five years, five of, years of, of 40, 40 hour work weeks. Wow. So there's I mean, a lot it, of people who are really good at making McDonald's hamburgers. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously. I am really good at zoom at this point, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I don't think, I mean, I definitely, and I've been doing photography for a, lot, a mm -hmm. while, but there's no way I've hit no 10,000 hours. I mean, that's, that's a ton of time, right? It makes you wonder like how much more you could be doing in the things that you think that you're really good at. <laughs> yeah, seriously. You're like, Oh yeah. Like you say like, Oh my gosh, you're really good at landscape photography. And I still look at, a lot of my photography is being really flawed. And I feel like I don't have a true grasp on some certain parts of it. Um, and then I look at other people who have been doing photography for a long time, and I see them as being really great examples of, of perfect uh, execution of their settings and edits and all that stuff and advertising and marketing their work. Um, and I wonder sometimes if they look at themselves and go like, nah, there's still like so much that I could learn. Mm -hmm. Like They've hit their 10,000 hours. You wonder if maybe they need... 20,000 hours to feel satisfied does the 10,000 hours goal for you and like we'll we'll go back to photography oh, yeah, yeah. photography is something that you really like it's something that I really like so it, it's kind of relatable it's easy but about. easy <laughs> but do you feel like the 10,000 hours is like daunting for you or do you feel like it's a goal for you because I feel like you can kind of go when mm. I look around at people I feel like I'm much more of a like a goal-oriented person mm. somebody says 10,000 hours and I'm like like, I'm going to okay. hit that. Yeah. Like if that's what it takes, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. You know? And when people say like, oh, you can't do that. I'm the kind of person that's like, all right, I'm going to at least try mm -hmm. to do something like that. Um, but I feel like I have a lot of friends and I know a lot of people who you tell somebody you need 10,000 hours of photography mm -hmm. in order to, you know, be, become an expert at it. People are like, well, if that's what it takes. I'm not going to, I'm not, it's, it's not worth, it's not worth starting. You know right. what I mean? And so how, with your photography experience, somebody, you kind of look at that 10,000 hours. Are you the kind of individual that would see it as a challenge or look at it kind of in, in almost mm. a negative? I'll never reach that, especially applying for med school. Like that's got to take a lot of stuff, a <laughs> ton of your time. And you already have different goals and you know that your time is going to be very limited for the next, you know, at least four years, you know, six <laughs> years, years. <laughs> yeah, eight years, depending <laughs> on what path you go down. So like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people would look at that and say, eh, not even worth trying. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm going to sit on my couch and scroll on Instagram. Fair. Um, so I have ADD. Um, <laughs> so for some reason it feels like things that require a lot of time can go either way. It can either be like, no, not worth it. Or, I have all the time in the world. I could I could spend hours and hours and hours hyper fixated on something very specific and it doesn't matter how long it's going to take. I want to get good at it. <clears throat> For example, like a few days ago, I stayed up until 3 a.m. researching Japanese blue carbon steel knives because I was like, I just want to get a good knife and I want to know how to sharpen it and I want to be really good at making food and stuff. And it was just a weird thing that I did. But, um, but I think with photography specifically, it's really truly um, a very specific niche for me that I love and it doesn't really matter how much time it's going to take I'm just going to keep doing it through my life so I don't think I see 10,000 hours right now as a goal it's more just like I'm eventually going to reach that at some point and I don't know really when that's going to happen but once I do I, it I don't know how much it really will matter to me specifically um, it's more like a an inevitable thing that happens when you're truly passionate about something okay so how do you, well, how do you think you, people get passionate about things though when you're bad at them? I feel like, you know what I mean? Like that was one thing that I don't know, I've heard from a lot of people is like, well, I tried it and mm -hmm. was really bad at it or you know what I mean? And like, I don't know. I feel like when you start off bad at something, it's hard to continue moving on something, but everybody starts bad. I mean, that was kind right. of one of the points of the book that I really actually liked mm -hmm. was kind of his idea that nobody has like pure talent pure talent right. you know what i mean like everybody starts from somewhere and maybe people have invested more hours in something closely related to what you're doing so for instance if you're you know want to be a football player 
nobody has like pure football talent off the couch, but maybe they invested, you know, quite a bit of hours in basketball, you mm-hmm. know, and they've, you know, pretty hand-eye coordinated, you know, they've got, you know, some athletic ability. And then that somebody tries football for the first time and they're like, oh, that guy's naturally good at football. But his argument was nobody's naturally good at anything. People have been kind of already had experience. People have already had experiences prior to their life that make mm-hmm. it an advantage to them when they start something different. Hmm. So like repeat the questions. I went off on a tangent, but <laughs> it was like, how do you, how do you stay motivated on something when you're really not good at it at first? Right. Cause I feel like most people are just not good at things when they first start them. Nobody's mm. really naturally talented. No, no. And I, I think that for me, this is more of like personal thing. Well, like for me, like I look at my original photography. It was really funny. Cause I like when I first got my first full frame camera, my professional <laughs> Canon 6D, um, <laughs> I look at some of the photos that I did and I'm like, these are terrible. terrible. My edits are horrible. Why did I go so magenta on that? It's like <laughs> the sky is not that color. Um, and a lot of it really, I think is being inspired by people that I looked up to. So, um, even though I wasn't good, uh, I was kind of okay at it. And I, and I liked it because, um, there were certain people that I admired and I liked that, that did those things. And I think I think half of the drive comes from uh, just being interested in the subject in the first place. I think if you're not really that interested in it, it's kind of hard to want to. Like it's kind of a weird cyclical thing. Like if you're not very good at, it, you're usually not interested. And if you're not interested, you're not going to be really good at it, mm-hmm. which is kind of a hard thing to break through. I was about to say, yeah, that's the cycle that I feel like a lot of people struggle breaking out of. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? They may. They may have some interest, but it's not really enough interest to break them out of that cycle. Right. And I think sometimes it's, there's like something that will happen, an opportunity comes or, or you have a, uh, a breakthrough in, in one very small thing and that hooks you from that point. So like skiing, you like hit your first like carve perfectly or you have a good powder day and then suddenly you're like obsessed. You're like, oh my gosh, I have to experience that feeling again. Or like for photography, the first time I took a picture of the stars and I was like, oh my gosh, like that's light from millions of miles away hitting my camera and doing something that I can't really explain very well. <laughs> um, and turning into something that I created, that I made myself. And you feel that and you're like, I want to do that again. And when, especially when you're getting validated by other people, photography is very like validating when you post it on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, people say, I like that. Yeah. And so... When, when I had my first like photo, like kind of blow up, um, and, and got like, I think I only got 500 likes on it, but that was like blowing up for me. Yeah. Um, now I have a reel with like 4 million views or something like that. Um, but when you first feel that you're like, oh my gosh, I really like that feeling. So what can I do now to keep that feeling going? And slowly it turned from being validating from other people being like, wow, you're cool. And I like what you do to being uh, this particular thing makes me feel really good and I like the improvement process. That's why I started film photography too, was it really challenged what I was doing and brought back that feeling of improving in something that I really liked. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's important. I think adding adding difficulty over time I mm-hmm. think is important because everything that you knew, knew that you start off is going to be difficult. And so... Yeah, I mean, I think adding that film photography was really cool. It's like a cool way of keeping photography still very hard. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Not getting, you know, relaxed in your effort because otherwise, otherwise it's hard to practice. You know right. What I mean, you know, you're never going to want to just do something forever that's that's easy. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. Um, now that you, so you're about to become a father. Right. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Congratulations. Woo-hoo. That's super exciting. <laughs> it's literally the greatest thing you could possibly do. I'm uh, very, very excited. It is the best. My kids are the best ever. I will go See, ahead. I, and say I don't even think I truly appreciate it yet. Oh, I, I'm really excited, but it still doesn't even feel real yet. I feel like it didn't feel real for me until like six months after I had a kid. You know, like Olivia and the and our kids had like an instant connection when they were born, obviously, because mom and the kid. You <laughs> and know, you're like, you're still just some baby. Like, yeah, I, don't I, was like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but now my three-year-old is the coolest person on the face of the planet. Like, it's just so fun. But I'm like constantly thinking as, you know, now having kids and everything like that. 
while reading outliers and thinking about 10,000 hours, thinking about, you know, kind of that original kind of hypothesis that he, or not hypothesis, the original like birthday scenario that Mm. he, that he talks about with, you know, having your kids be in a position where they can have the most attention given to them. Mm. And then, you know, basically throughout every point of this book, to me reading it, it felt like a, a lesson in parenthood, to be mm. honest, because I feel like at every lesson, it had something to do with parents. And I don't know if that's just True. the perspective that I had with now having two small kids. Yeah, I don't even remember most of the parenthood things. <laughs> See, <laughs> now I, that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I saw it from like, make sure that your kids, you know, are in a position early on to receive attention from coaches, like if, or from mentors, oh, I yeah. guess is a better way to put mm-hmm. it. Make sure that your kids are always kind of the biggest, fastest, strongest, and do what you can to like position them in a way the 10,000 hours was, I loved the example where he gave, um, playing the violin and mm. they had like kids playing, you know, two hours a week, starting early. Then once you turn eight, kids usually start playing like four hours a week, 13 kids start playing like 12 hours a week. He kind of broke it up to like age oh, and yeah. how people I accomplish 10,000 hours by the time they turn 20. Cause he's like, if you can accomplish 10,000 hours by the time you turn 20, you're more likely to be a professional in something because you have reached 10,000 hours at a critical point in your life. Right. You know, rather mm. than reaching 10,000 hours when you're 40 and you've already got a career, you've already got a family, it's hard to mm. become a professional. You can become a professional at 20. Um, and then, you know, talking about, I don't know, just really like Bill Gates' experience <laughs> and how his parents kind of allowed him to, you know, reach out and talk mm. with people and, um, and, you know, put him in positions that would give him ability to work on computers. And then there was also like everything with, helping your kids learn how to talk to people of authority, you know, Mm, and how, you know, there are some, you know, poor class families that don't respond well to positions of authority because they just don't grow up in an atmosphere where they interact frequently with, you know, doctors and lawyers and different things like that, people that they look up to. And so basically every point of this book, I was just like, man, how do I set my kids up for success early in this whole aspect? And I was wondering if as a new kind of perspective father, that had even. I know I like, it was not like making those connections. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I think that um, a lot of what I was thinking about was specific. I I mean, it's always what's most relevant to you. I feel like a lot of mine was just thinking about like um, how I experienced those things growing up specifically. So I was thinking about what my parents had done for me um, but not so much about what I was going to do for my own kid, <laughs> which is maybe terrible. I'm a terrible father already. No, I mean, again, <laughs> mine's, mine's three and it's, she's well, yeah, six, it's like, set up for six. Just like I said, it's still, I just still don't feel like that immediate connection yet. I'm very excited, but like, mm-hmm. it's definitely interesting how my wife is having all these really cool experiences right now with our baby. Like she just started feeling the movement and stuff and I... I'm just kind of still like, I don't even really 100% believe it. <laughs> I saw the ultrasound, but like that's all I've got to go on right now. It's just a picture. And mm-hmm. I deal with pictures all the time. And some pictures aren't always real. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I think about that um, perspective, um, it just reminds me of how important my experiences growing up were for where I am right now. Because my, my dad, when he went to dental school, he had three kids when he went to dental school. Um, wow. And yeah. So he we were not um, great financially. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely remember lots of nights, ramen, peanut butter sandwiches for lunch every day. Um, but he made do, and my mom too, was a really big part of that, being super intentional with all their experiences that they gave us. Made sure that we had um, excellent experiences wherever we went and then eventually my dad used his opportunities to be pretty successful now he's like semi-retired already and i was able to go to school without having to pay for my um my undergrad which is super super nice and really grateful for that opportunity and reading that book made me very aware of i've had so many opportunities because of my parents so so thinking about that you you really i think when you become a parent start to think of your children way more than you think of yourself and everything that you're doing that was for yourself starts to become for your children specifically. Would Mm -hmm. you say that's like 
Yeah, absolutely. When I was reading this book, I I kind of reflected both on, you know, kind of what my parents had done for me and also Mm. kind of my kids. I kind of bounced back and forth. My parents were phenomenal. Like if I, I mean, whatever his name is, Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell. Yeah. (laughs) I'm terrible. That's okay. (laughs) Malcolm Gladwell could have used my parents as an example, honestly. Like they were super, super supportive throughout everything, gave me every opportunity to succeed, made sure that I was always like front and center with the best coaches, with the Mm. best everything. And I really did have an opportunity to be, you know, a a professional in what I wanted to be as a kid. Mm -hmm. Like I was, it was amazing. So like whatever uh, you wanted to do, the world was yours. Yeah. It didn't matter. They were going to put everything on hold to try to get me there. And that was really cool. And a lot of, you know, a lot of what the, what I read in the book, like my parents actually did, but now kind of from a different perspective while reading this book, I basically was like, well, I'm not going to become a professional at anything. <laughs> like now, now it's like 20. It's too late for me. Yeah. If I started something new now, 20 years is what we're looking at. Right. Like I'll be 50 at that mm. point. So it's like, ah, I might as well just give up and now start working on my kids. And so that's where it was interesting, kind of these parts of the book, those parts of the book, I was kind of like, how would somebody set their kids up for success in today's world? Because mm. it's not so much, I feel like it's not so much the same as a lot of the stories in there in mm. that it was, you know, get your kids dealing with computers quickly, get your kids, you know, really, even like I feel like education, although education right. is important, I feel like formal education was much more emphasis in a lot of points of this book, whereas yes. I feel like nowadays there's a lot more opportunities to oh, learn yeah. outside of formal education. So I just kept thinking the entire time, like if I could do something for my kids to set them up, what would that be? Mm. Like, yeah, it's almost like the, he was saying for you guys, you can use this book as much as you want. It's kind of too late for you. Unfortunately, if you're reading this book, it's kind of too late. Yeah. But your kids have that opportunity. So what are you going to do to do? That's interesting. Um, <clears throat> And like make it intentional. That's yeah, kind of the way that super that's super intentional. That's kind of the way that, the way that I looked at this book. Again, I feel like, like you said, if you're reading this book now, it's almost too late. Like yeah. you might be able to become an expert in something, but you're not going to be able to be in a position like Bill Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, right. where the start of computers, like the the like the beginning of personal computers, is while you're 21 right. in college. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like if you're reading this book now. It's Hate to break it to you, you're a little bit late to be putting in your ten thousand hours <laughs> for computers. For computers, yeah, <laughs> or for anything when you turn twenty one straight out of college. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you have to be starting that early, and it really came down to their parents putting them in, not even in situations specifically for computers, but in situations that they could learn how to talk with people, learn mm-hmm. how to, you know, kind of have the opportunity to go to college. Like you said, your parents right. set you up with that ability to go to college to kind of not worry about the financial side of things. So you could really focus on becoming a doctor. I mean, your parents, it sounds like set you up for success mm. currently specifically for like a graduate school educational program. Like yeah. that was like the main thing. Exactly. And so now it's like, what can we like, if you're reading this book now, it should be more of an introspective book. I feel mm-hmm. like on, how do you intentionally parent? And I feel like that's almost what this book could have been about instead of like, outliers. Slap a slightly different title. Title. Yeah. How and do we be and a different conclusion is being an intentional parent and like being it's intentional with the way book. that you Yeah, the way that you do everything. Yeah. You should read that book next. The intentional father. Is that a book? It's very good. Really? I really liked it so far. Does it mirror not, so not near this but book? It's got some like good stuff closely in it. or I mean oh, let's see. I mean kind of in some ways. I mean but it but it touches on the idea of like um the things that you do for your children should be intentional. And I, I think that with outliers, like maybe my dad did this stuff for me, but he never um like he never pointed out what he was doing. And sometimes I wonder if it would have been helpful to know that like like to or to have explained to me i'm doing this for you because i want this opportunity for you i want you to experience these things and do these things um which is i mean him being intentional about it in the first place was uh or my mom as well being intentional about things in the first place was 
super important to me having those experiences, but I wonder how much more I would have appreciated them had I had the same kind of like outlook that they were having. I mean, when you're like five years old, you don't have that, but, but when you're like 16 and you're getting put into these programs and you're getting sent to like leadership seminars and stuff like that, um, to have that like long-term perspective for yourself could be helpful. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's true because I think I had, I don't know. Yeah. I think if my parents told me like specifically like this is what we're doing so that you can accomplish this, it kind of almost puts a little bit more, I don't want to say pressure, no, but, no, like, but, but like motivation, motivation behind it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, kind of what your parents are doing. So you can also like see the goals with mm-hmm. them. Or would that limit you? Because you're like, oh, now I feel like this is the thing that I kind of have to do. That's true. Because like in a lot of ways, I think that medicine is really great. And I really am excited for that experience and, and being able to do that full time. But I wonder if I if I didn't kind of feel that like push towards I went and got an undergraduate degree. I went and took the MCAT already and I've worked in clinical hours and I've done all the research and stuff. If I would just do full time photography instead, because mm-hmm. I, I didn't need to go to college for that. But there's a way where I feel like I'm almost like squandering my like inheritance in a way (laughs) that this is what they worked really hard for was for me to go to college and do these things. And now I want to do something that is, um, that didn't require school and it really only required like YouTube university in a lot of ways. (laughs) Um, so, so maybe it was better for them to let me let, to let you like to let their children find their path themselves while still giving them all the opportunities to get the education and, not being limited in their choices when it comes to like that point of decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think I could see it either way. Cause I think, I think a lot of people would, would kind of limit themselves, but then I just know a lot of really stubborn people that would have just said too stubborn. Screw, <laughs> screw you, mom and dad. <laughs> gonna I'm going to go do what I want. <laughs> like I know a lot of people that would have just said that. So, but I mean, I think that there were a lot of, important skills learned along the way anyway you know Mm. like if your parent again if if your parents are intentionally kind of providing those opportunities those opportunities are going to lead to other things as well right you know like you learn a lot of skills and i think that was one of the things that he also talked about was when he talked about the um blanking here the kids from like the poorer families not oh, being able to yeah. talk with doctors mm-hmm. and, and everything like that and being really shy, not making eye contact, not being able to communicate. Right. And then, you know, kids who, you know, mom on the way to the doctor's appointment said, make sure you tell the doctor about the thing under your arm. Mm. You know what I mean? And giving it, them the chances to do yeah. it themselves. Yeah. Right. And they were kind of, again, maybe not explicitly telling him them like, okay, I want you to talk to the doctor so that you can be comfortable with doctors so that you can go to med school mm, and everything. Right. You know what I mean? Like it, they didn't lay out the whole thing to them, but they did have a plan for those kids. You know what right. I mean? Like they were intentionally teaching them how to do these things to get them to that eventual goal. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like that was really interesting as well. Like the, again, the intentionality of parents was huge throughout this book for me. Yeah. And I mean, really when you look at every single one of those um, points, the, like really, like it's interesting how he describes like opportunities are are sometimes kind of random and lucky, but a lot of the time you're kind of set up for these things. And it's really more about if you're going to actually like utilize that opportunity. Um, and so like with 10,000 hours, it's really just like putting them in the lessons when they're young with the um, introducing them to those conversations. It's really about just giving them the chance to do that rather than just doing things for them or um, if you don't have the success that you wanted as an adult, then you might not have the money for it. Like it is interesting thinking of like affirmative action right now. And that's kind of been a hot topic lately. Has that been hard for med school? Med school? I don't think med school as much. I think there's a lot of thing. There's a lot of factors that go into a medical school application that are just like generally minorities who are applying to medical school have really awesome stories. They just kind of get in because they're really cool people in general. Yeah. (laughs) Like I'm just some boring white dude from Utah. So most of the time you don't have as many experiences that have brought you to that point. But I feel like anybody who I've met who is uh, a person of color or underrepresented in the medical community, um, they've had some really cool experiences that have brought them to that point. 
But it makes sense thinking about affirmative action in other colleges because um, they're really just taking an opportunity that their parents weren't able to give them and they're giving them that chance. Because it, I think in statistics, most of the time, um, students who were accepted into law school or medical school who are um, a minority are usually not quite as great in that schooling. They've kind of lowered the bar to let them in for that opportunity. But then once they graduate school, their success throughout their careers and where they go for residency or how they practice law or what their pays are uh, or their pay, <clears throat> sorry, what their like salaries are, it all like evens out at the end. Like once they're given the opportunity to be educated um, in a way that their parents might not have been able to do for them, um, everybody kind of balances out because they seize that opportunity that they're given then. So while I might have been given some really great opportunities because my parents were able to help pay for my college, um, it still is my responsibility once I get into those schools to um, to actually use that opportunity. Well, hmm. While those students who didn't have that opportunity earlier on might have an easier time getting into medical school, they also still have to seize that opportunity that they're given at that time. Yeah. I feel like that's an interesting perspective because I feel like I always hear about affirmative action again, like you said, where kids that kind of get into schools because of affirmative action mm -hmm. struggle at the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what people mostly focus on. Mm -hmm. like the the kind of end result is not what most people yeah. focus on. You the end result I mean? is all the same for everybody. They get an education, they learn, and there are people who got in because they worked really hard to get there and then they get there and they just drop the ball. They just don't take their opportunity once they're there. And there are people that worked really hard to get in, but they just didn't have as good of grades. And so they struggle through the first part. But sometimes that struggle really helps you to appreciate what you're doing. And just like we talked about, when you're really bad at something for a little bit, sometimes the struggle helps you to um, to be motivated to get better in the long run. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I think that makes, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think he even talks about that with that inner city school. I can't remember the name of the school. Oh, it's like K M M I. It's in New York, right? Where yeah. they, it's like all random how you get accepted, right? Yeah. But yeah. it's usually people who were like, who don't have the opportunity to go to private schools. Right. They take those kids and they give them the same opportunities that kids from private schools Okay, mm -hmm. get all the time. You know, they take them to museums. They have, you know, extra, mm -hmm. you know. Well, and their, like, whole schedule's different. Yeah. Because they're not, they're working so much more. <laughs> I would have hated that school. Yeah, I would like, have hated I would have been so mad at my parents for that. But, but it, <laughs> I mean, it goes to show, though, that, like, you can take somebody who w didn't grow up with those, didn't grow up with those advantages, put them in that environment and catch them back up to speed. And, and from what he was saying, in a lot of cases, even overpass if you continue to put in the time put in the effort mm -hmm. i mean really that's all it comes down to is from this book is really just put in the time put in the effort right and start as young as possible <laughs> because the older you get the harder it is to get right. to get that time and i think that's super hopeful for um, parents who mm, maybe haven't had the success that, that they've wanted to and so I, I feel like you could read this book and you could kind of be disheartened thinking like i'm never going to be able to do that for my kids like they just don't have the same I don't have the same ability to give them these experiences and opportunities. And when you see stuff like that and those, those experiences that they're having, it kind of, I think gives you hope that you can do your best to put them in the right situations so that when those kinds of opportunities come, you can depend on them having looked at you and your work ethic and what you've done for them. And then try to emulate that in the experiences that they're given at that point. Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty, pretty standard, not standard, I would say, but a pretty common second generation mm. immigrant right. like story. Yeah. You know, like I knew a lot of people, especially so in speed skating, there's a ton of Koreans, ton okay, of cool. Koreans. Like, I don't know why there's just <laughs> I did not a, know it's that a Korean actually. sport, but a lot of the guys that I skated with, I mean, were given every opportunity when they were young to kind of excel from there. But it was really, again, it was that, that kind of immigrant mentality where right. they, you know, their parents worked really, really hard and saw that, you know, they were just going to give everything to their kids and set their kids up for success early. And then, you know, all of these kids that are just amazing that have been skating mm. since they were, you know, five years old, four days a week and just had every opportunity before them. And not only are they amazing skaters, I mean, like most of them, I mean, 
I know a couple that have gone on to Ivy League schools while going to the Olympics. I'm like, seriously? Like, yeah, you can't do it. Like, you shouldn't be able to do it all. It's so cool. It's ridiculous. I'm not, I'm not even that hardworking at all. You see that and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I'm so lazy. <laughs> but it, yeah, I mean, at one point, I, I mean, at some part, I'm like, yeah, I mean, those kids worked really, really hard. But really what it came down to was like, I mean, their parents invested everything mm. into them. I mean, these kids were traveling I mean, most of them lived like East Coast because mm-hmm. there were a couple of really good clubs East Coast. Most of them lived like on the East Coast and they would travel all over the United States and, and practice. And then most of them would move to Salt Lake where, you know, kind of like the hub for speed skating was. Right. Or they would move to, there's one other club in Virginia that they would move to because it was a really, you know, kind of high functioning club um, at like. 10 or 11. Oh my gosh. Like they would pick up their entire family wow. and be like, all right, this is what we're going to do. And they'd pick up their family mm-hmm. and move just so that their kids could have that opportunity. Wow. And it was, I mean, it's really, imp- it was really kind of eye opening to the level of, again, kind of intentional, set, intentionally setting your kid up for that kind of mm-hmm. progression that he talks about making sure that they have the right people around them. They're learning the right lessons. They have the right coaches. They have the right amount of time that they can devote to whatever said goal it was. And most mm-hmm. of these kids that I know, I mean, they did it. They all went to the Olympics. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Like wow. how it worked out just like he said, like you have to be intentional about it. Mm. And it really just shows like a parent's love and like once you become a parent, it seems like you just don't matter anymore to yourself. You matter a little bit to yourself, but for the most part, everything you're doing is for that child. And so I'm really excited to see how my, I, I, do you feel like it's a mentality shift that just happens or do you feel like you had to like work pretty hard? At, oh, it just happened. It's just, it was like natural almost. For me, I feel like I just look at my kids and I'm just like, dude, everything for you. They are the coolest <laughs> like, I am telling you, so I, rad, I feel like they could do literally anything. If my, if my daughter was like, I want to do this, I'm like, yeah, like, yeah. let's go all in. You, you know, like, I will. 80 hours a week, like, you're going to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, kind of a, a, an interesting, my mom right now is absolutely obsessed with Taylor Swift and. Understandable. Um, Most of us are. And uh, <laughs> Travis Kelsey, like in their oh, relationship. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know most people are obsessed with yeah, Taylor but Swift. Specifically the relationship. Oh yeah. my gosh. No, my mom's like a 14 year old girl when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. And she has like got pictures of them pinned up on her wall. Right. Like it's amazing. Um, but she made me watch the Kelsey documentary recently. Yeah. And I don't know if you've watched it, but the parents talk, I mean, that was my wife's first question mm. was like, how do these parents have two kids that go to the Super Bowl and like are, best players in the NFL in their position of each other. They have a great podcast too. Yeah. Actually. They're amazing. <laughs> but in the movie, it talk or in, yeah, in the movie right. it talks about briefly, their parents were like, we're just like, we gave everything to our kids. They're like, we didn't have the nicest house. We didn't have the nicest cars. We didn't, you know, we didn't have a ton of free time for ourselves. Mm-hmm. They're like, our kids did anything they wanted and we did everything we could for them. They played football, they played basketball, they played hockey, they pl- they wrestled. They were like, we went to everything and we made sure that they could go to everything and had the best opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> it, I mean, I think when you become a parent, it just gets to that point. I don't, I guess for me, when I became a parent, it got to the point where I kind of saw the world in that way. Mm. Like, I don't have to have the nicest stuff. I don't have to do the nicest things. But if I can help my kids get to that point where they can do whatever they want. Like I'm going to do it. Right. And I feel like it almost came naturally for me because my parents were like that. Mm-hmm. So like, it was kind of almost like a pay it forward way. My parents gave me every opportunity they possibly could. Like if they had to save up so that I could get a new pair of skates, if they had to save up so I could get a new pair of skis. I mean, my parents sent me down to Utah every summer when I was like 12 or 13 and they just sent me down here. So that I could just skate the whole summers. Like it was, I mean, they really did give me every opportunity possible. Mm. And so I felt like it was natural for me because I was, I just saw my parents and I was like, man, that was awesome. I'm going to do the same thing for my kids. But it's really sad that I don't know that that's natural for everybody. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think everybody has parents who see it, whose kid walks around and they're just like, that's more important to me than Mm. anything else. And I think that's where the sad part of this book was when 
kind of he talks about the differences between people who are successful and people who aren't successful right because you can tell that it's just not it's not the unsuccessful kid's fault that their parents didn't just look at them and say i want everything for that kid yeah the drive was not there it was Mm -hmm. still a self-motivated drive for themselves specifically rather than for their kids um that just made me think a lot about like um man that made me think of a lot of things actually that was great uh ramble there (laughs) oh i'm i'm i can ramble i can ramble with the best of them you had my mind going to so many different places there for a second i was like oh my gosh there's like so many great points there now i'm trying to think of what i was going to say next um so i really like what you say about just like that happens so naturally for you but it doesn't always happen for everybody so what do you what would you say is like if you feel like you're struggling to like hit that moment do you think that's something that you can overcome and you can become that kind of a parent who cares because like i i love the age-old additive of like your grandfather worked in the field so that i could be a doctor so that you could be an athlete poet artist basically Mm -hmm. whatever you want to do but there always probably comes a time where you have to say to yourself that I want you to have these opportunities and I don't care about what my opportunities are at that point. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, it comes from like one believing that it's possible. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I think that's one thing that this book actually maybe does a really good job of the hope is part. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it breaks it down into a very like achievable process. You know, like if you are somebody who maybe struggles to think like, okay, well, how would I go about creating these opportunities for my kid and how can I best set my kid up to do what they want instead of being like, I'm going to set my kid up so that they can graduate from high school, go to college and get, you know, a normal job. Right. You know what I mean? Like in something, in something like, again, you're not intentional with it. You're not saying like, I want my kid to be, you know, whatever he wants to be. It's, you know, I just want them to be safe and secure the Mm -hmm. whole way. Not that there's anything wrong with being safe and secure, but I feel like, as a parent starting off, you have the opportunity to give them so much more than safe and secure. You right. know what I mean? You can set them up for what Malcolm Gladwell counts as like an outlier, you know, right. somebody who has accomplished so much more because of that whole process. And so you kind of have to believe in the process first. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't believe that it's possible, you're not going to flip that switch and say, I'm going to give my kid everything because why would you give your kid everything? Right. If you don't even believe that it's going to make a difference in their life. True. So I think, First off, you've got to have that kind of belief that it's possible and the roadmap of of how you're going to do it. Mm. And I think that a lot of it, like my my dad might have wanted me to be, my dad's big into fly fishing. That's like his whole thing is fly fishing. He might have wanted me to become a professional fly fisherman, but I didn't really want to do that necessarily. My, my passions include photography, medicine, skiing. I really love skiing. I think that if there was something that I wanted my kid to do, it would be to be like a professional skier. I think that'd be so cool. But I think that having that relationship with your kids where you can communicate with them when they're young and kind of find their interests and what they're interested in, what they like, um, helps to kind of determine what you're going to, what paths you're going to set them down. Cause I like what you said, like if you don't have that end goal in mind of like what opportunities you want to give them, then you kind of just put them down like a, the, the funnel towards college basically. Cause that's like, it offers a lot of opportunities, but my wife and my wife, McKaylee and I have talked a lot about how we don't see college or hair school or an athletic training program. Um, any of those as being more important or better opportunities than the other they're just more specific opportunities. So that makes a lot of sense what you're saying, where you have to really plan what path you're going to send them down, what like tube or funnel you're going to give them to become successful. Mm -hmm. And you have to believe it's possible. You know what I mean? Like that was one thing, again, just patting my parents on the back. I remember, I mean, since I was 11, probably they said, do you want to go to the Olympics? You want to go to the Olympics? Like, like, sure. And I was <laughs> I like, it. I was like, yeah, sure. And then I remember watching the Olympics, um, and just being like, holy crap, like that would be so cool. Mm. And then the entire time, my parents just were like, all right, if that's the goal, like these, this is the pathway. And again, you have to believe that you're, that you your kids can achieve that goal. I feel like a lot of people just, you know, again maybe they're they're farmers and they're just like my kids are going to be farmers you know their kids are going to be farmers their mm. kids or maybe you're inner city and you're like man my my grandma's lived 
My, my grandma, my grandma was poor. I was poor. <laughs> my mom was poor. I was poor. My kids are going to be poor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And if you just have that mentality of like, that's what's going to happen, then you don't ever, again, intentionally plan for something completely different. I think another really good example of that was Ben Carson. You know, he oh, yeah. ran for president mm-hmm. and everything like that. But I mean, he talks about, I mean, his parent, his mom, single mom, super, super poor, right? Inner city. But his mom knew, like, this is not going to be my kid. Right. He's going to do something incredible. And she set him up for success doing that. He had to read a book a week. He had to write a report on top of his schoolwork. She set him up to, like, enjoy learning and knew that, like, it wasn't going, that cycle wasn't going to repeat. You know, like, I liked what she said. I worked in the field so that, you know, my son could be a doctor, so that my son could be, you know, whatever he wanted to be. And so, again, you just have to be very intentional about it. And I think that that's a really positive takeaway from from outliers is yeah. that if you are intentional you have you really do have a good chance of pulling it off because mm-hmm. again there's no no such thing as like you know basic you know pure talent you know what i mean right it all starts from being intentional early mm-hmm. on in the process true so. and like it's so interesting how you can believe really hard that you want to do something, but having someone that's there rooting for you, telling you that it's possible and believing in you is so motivating. Like if, if I didn't have my dad or my mom saying, you can do this, you can do this. I don't think that I would believe myself when I was saying that I could do this. Cause there's a lot of like negative things that are coming into your life saying, this is hard. This is really difficult. Like, uh, maybe this isn't possible, but having one person who knows you really well and has been working really hard to make sure you have those opportunities saying that it is possible is extremely motivating. And I think the vice, like vice versa could be true. Like if you are a parent who isn't super positive and isn't seeing the best in your children and, and making them very aware of their greatness and what they're capable of, then they're not going to be successful people. And that's, sort of on the parents at that point, not necessarily on yourself. Or if your parents weren't very motivating, then maybe you don't have yourself to blame quite as much for yeah. some of your Well and if you're neg <laughs> if you're negative, you don't you don't see the opportunities either. You know, right. that was another thing that they talked about was, you know, again, parents seeing opportunities to just kind of maybe not even for one specific thing. Not like my kid's gonna be, you know, a professional violinist, but you know, parents who are positive about the opportunities that kids have seek for opportunities in daily life to kind of push your kid without Mm -hmm. them even noticing. You're not like, okay, you're going to go up and talk to this person today because you need to practice your communication skills. You know, the mom's (laughs) just like, Hey, talk to the doctor, do this. Because she has perspectives hard because (laughs) she is positive that her kid can and is able to, and is a capable child to have those adult conversations with people and that just continues to build and build and build and build over time. So I think the positive attitude is yeah. a huge thing too. You really have to be, you really have to see your kid as kind of like a moldable piece of clay that that has all of the opportunities in the world if you continually give it to them. Mm-hmm. And you might believe, you have to make sure your kids believe that. Because if they don't believe that, then they're just not going to take those opportunities and run. But and like we said, like the more that you give them chances to prove to themselves that they are what you say that they are, the more they're going to believe that themselves. And mm-hmm. I think that what makes them successful in the end is taking those opportunities, believing in their choices, and trusting the experiences that they've had in the past that have brought them to that point. And starting early. That was starting the, early. That was the biggest, one of the yep. biggest take, takeaways that I had is like, when they're really, five years old, they're doing yeah, stuff. <laughs> you've got to be starting very early. It can't be like, okay, I'm going to wait till my kids, you know, 11 or 12 to really start being a, you know, involved parent or something like that. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. parent there's, I mean, again, $10,000 is a lot of time. Right. And you really want to hit it at 20 if possible. And so you've got to start earlier and the earlier you start, the more attention you get from people because you're considered a prodigy, but it it has nothing to do with you being special. It has everything to do with the fact that you've put, you know, 500 more hours into something than the 10 year old kid down Mm -hmm. the street. You know what I mean? And so, obviously you're going to be better at it. So you got to start early and you've got to be intentional with your kids young to get them to that point where they can, they can really be whatever they want at that point. Right. And that's not to say that you can't still do that now at 28 years old, but 
But yeah, way easier if you had someone that was looking out for you and, and helping you in the beginning. Yeah, definitely. So I guess I was completely wrong. Um, this book. We did get something out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I was Just not for us specifically. Yeah. There were no, I, I was, at the very beginning of this podcast, I said I couldn't find any actionable items on this, but I like, that's like literally all we talked about for the last 30 minutes. Right. It's like, how can, items. Yeah, how can you be <laughs> actionable with the things in this book to like, again, maybe not set yourself up for success. I'm not going to become, you know, amazing in anything else right. in my life. I mean, I might, you know, there's always room for growth and I don't want to completely downplay, like give up on your life when you're 30 years old. Mm -hmm. I think you can always have new hobbies and new things like that. But I just think, again, you're not going to become, you're not going to become Bill Gates mm -hmm. starting at 30. Right. You know what I mean? You've got to, you've got to hit those opportunities earlier in your life. And now you've, now you've got to use the talents and skills that you've developed for the first half of your life to kind of build. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Well, that's but. awesome. I like that. Now I'm going to suggest this book when people are saying, Hey, I'm going to be a dad soon. What book should I read? And I, this is not a typical parenting book, but it actually is pretty good for parenting advice in the long run. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So at the end of every podcast, I always ask every guest, oh, yeah. what would you rank this book on a scale of one to five as far as fun and one to five as far as importance? Mm. Probably a two as far as fun. Let's be real. <laughs> it's definitely not like a super like entertaining book, I'd say. It's like... It's interesting, and I, I, I think that interesting things are fun. But I think for most people, like, probably about a two. But I think for important, um, maybe like a 4.9, 4.8. <laughs> like really important things that will be really important for your future, especially if you're going to have children, based off of what we've talked about today specifically. Um, maybe for yourself, a little bit less than that. Yeah. What do you think? What would you do? i do a five for importance because I think, okay. again, if you want to – if you want to break the cycle or continue the cycle, depending on where you're at right. in the cycle, if you're super wealthy and amazing, if you want to continue that forward, or if you're you want to break that cycle and you want to kind of be the next generation to be better than you, I think this is going to be a massively important book. Right. Again, I think just providing those opportunities and having that perspective, I think is incredibly important. And it definitely made me personally think a lot about the way that I parent, what I want to do. Cool. Um, as far as fun, I'd probably give it a three. Yeah. I did like some of the stories. Um, it is story based. That's kind of nice. Yeah. I like I, stories. I like stories as well. Um, I will say the end little bit of the stories was not my jam. Mm. Didn't love like all the flight stuff. Didn't yeah, love. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Some of like the cultural side of things, which I understand why he talked about. Gonna, the we difference. didn't really talk about that very much. Mm. Maybe because we're like white guys. Yeah. Because <laughs> my culture <laughs> is, what is like, our, like yeah. 1995. Link 182 music. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much it. Exactly. <laughs> and pizza. Yeah. So I I didn't I didn't relate to that quite as well. I mean, it was interesting to think of and, and kind of maybe sympathize with people who have to overcome stuff like that. But right. ultimately that that part I kind of like sped through. It was really the first half of the book that I would say, honestly, it was pretty page turning for me. Like I really did enjoy the first half of the book cool. quite a bit. The stories were pretty fun. So that's great. That's all that I would that's how I would rank it. Sweet. So I like it. Um, lastly, if you had to name your three favorite books, what would they be? That's hard. <laughs> um, I have a lot of favorite books. Number one favorite book for me right now that I know of is Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Okay. I think it's entertaining, great topics of uh, just everything. I feel like it's a very good like life book. It's got so many like really interesting things in it like it's really taught me a lot about masculinity specifically it's lord of the rings for me anyway so Ar lord of the rings aragon Arizona, specifically uh everyone <laughs> <laughs> it's really good healthy masculinity in a good way okay um so lord of the rings um mm, man that's so hard i know it's hard i've read a lot of books um <clears throat> i really like ender's game a lot okay purely for like entertainment and just like interesting story i love yeah. ender's game i've heard that a lot that's one that i i have on my list of books it's a that great i want to read it's very entertaining definitely very fun really important no probably not i don't know <laughs> i don't know i mean books can be entertaining and like purely entertainment and also be important they could be like it's culturally culturally important you know True. what i mean like i don't know i think i would say hunger games is probably a culturally an important game book just from yeah. the, the impact that it's had but true purely entertainment obviously fair <laughs> not um, historical at all and then 
And there's also basic books, but I just love them so much. Um, I really like The Hunger Games <laughs> a lot. That was like the first time that I ever like read a book through the night. I was like, just like could not stop reading it. That was Hunger Games, number one. I read the first part like throughout the day when I was in like middle school. And then I stayed up until like 4.30 in the morning just reading the last part because I was just like so like enthralled and everything. I thought it was so cool. Also, I haven't read that in forever, but maybe it'd feel differently now. But I really liked that book when I was okay. young. <laughs> awesome, awesome. All right. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks was, for inviting me. Yeah, it was way fun. And for anybody who is still watching on the podcast, make sure that you like, comment, and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. If you're watching uh, or if you're listening on anywhere that podcasts are available, please leave us a five-star review. And if you are interested in being a guest for the podcast, please reach out. Um, you can reach out either on my website or you can leave a comment on the Instagram and or DM me on Instagram. And we are always looking for guests. I have a ton of books that I would love to read. And so if you'd like to come on, let me know and we'll get you on here. Get you scheduled. Thanks for listening.